Well, it's time to kick off another weekend, all right? Oh, yes, but we have to ask the preacher first. Ask the preacher. Your chance to have your Bible questions answered. Brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. Ask the Preacher with John Freed. John's out today. Sitting in is George Locke. Welcome to the program, all you beautiful people out there in Radioland. I just wanted to remind you folks that uh, today is a great day. If you're having a bad day, just take a step outside, breathe in the fresh air, and realize that you are loved and valued. And uh, today on Ask the Preacher, we're going to try to um, ruffle everybody everybody's feathers. I like to do that. If you've, if you've been listening to the program for any amount of time, you'll know that when I'm uh, usually hosting by myself, I do my absolute best to offend everybody and offend your uh, sensibilities. So we're going to try to do that today. And today's conversation might be a little contentious for some folks. So if you want to call in, share your opinions, give me your thoughts, ask a question, you can do that. You can be part of radio history and be on air live with yours truly by calling 863-682-1430. Now, I wanted to read uh, a passage to get us started. And what reminded me of this passage was uh, I like to listen to apologetics. I love listening to debates. I mean, after all, this is Ask the Preacher. And uh, I'm not going to be very good at this job if I don't know how to answer questions. And one of the... Um, debates that I had recently listened to was about the validity of Christ's resurrection. Is there any real evidence for his resurrection? And one of the things that struck me in this debate was uh, the, the person who was saying, no, there's no evidence for Christ's resurrection. It's all just a bunch of fairy tales and you can't believe the eyewitnesses. One of the things that really stuck out to me in this almost two hour debate was the fact it was almost like a side comment. The the person who was saying there's no evidence for, for Christ's resurrection made a comment almost in passing. He said, well, you know, it was only a day and a half uh, uh, of counting anyway, not really three days. Um, and then he went on and, and continued his uh, points of, of contention. And what was interesting to me is the person who was uh, saying, yes, there is evidence for Christ's resurrection did not refute that point. And, I would contend to you that if you hold to the tradition that Christ was crucified on a Friday uh, and rose on a Sunday, you may be incorrect and actually may be calling Jesus a liar. So we're going to dive into that today. But before we talk about that, and, and I'll give you some uh, reasons as to why I think that's a invalid timeline for his death, burial, and resurrection, I, I want to read first a verse that comes out of Mark 7. Jesus is discussing uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes about how uh, the, the Pharisees are holding the traditions of men above the commandments of God. So in Mark 7, starting in verse 6, it says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written? The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And then he goes on to explain exactly what that means, how they, how they basically add to the commandments of God and the traditions of men, and that ends up leading to error. And so they 
want to worship God in sincerity, but it's done in vain because they put the traditions of men above God. And so we're going to talk today about how Jesus wasn't resurrected on Sunday. Now, I will give full disclosure on this. I do not believe this is a point of contention in terms of salvation. Do you need to know exactly the, the time, the date, the hour, the moment that Jesus was resurrected in order to have a relationship with him? No, you do not. As long as you believe that he is resurrected and that you receive his new life by grace through faith, you are part of his family. However, just like the debate that I was referring to earlier, it is vitally important that we, as people who say we follow Jesus and say we believe the Bible, it's important that we examine ourselves and not hold the traditions of men higher than what's plainly, explicitly written in the Word of God. So with all that uh, context and pretext and, and all of that explanation in the way, we're going to start tackling some of these uh, biblical accuracies, and, and we're going to basically learn how uh, there's the stunning truth behind Christ's resurrection, and we're going to learn how this biblical prophecies uh, from, from all over the Bible were fulfilled accurately. And so we, we have this inescapable dilemma that I mentioned earlier, that th this resurrection on Sunday— a lot of Christians today believe that Jesus resurrected Sunday, meaning they believe that he was buried on Friday late afternoon— often called Good Friday, and he was resurrected on a Sunday morning. And as a result, most Christians today, they'll go to church on Sunday and they'll honor the day when Christ rose from the dead. However, when we look at the biblical chronology of Christ's death and his resurrection, it, it prevents us with a true dilemma. When you study the Bible, you would see that Christ could not have possibly risen on a Sunday. Now, he did rise. I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm just saying it couldn't have been on a Sunday. So when did God resurrect Jesus? Now, it, it may be difficult to believe uh, some of the points I'm going to explain, but, but bear with me, hear me out, and, and test the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. Um, because after all, if what I'm saying is true, well, does that mean that millions of Christians are wrong? I mean, how can they be wrong when it comes to the the... 2,000-year tradition of, of worshiping on Sunday. Um, so it's going to be a lot to digest. We're going to move through it quickly. I'm going to give scripture references. I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures, but uh, we're going to see how this all plays out. And, and to help us better understand it, I'm, I'm going to say that there's 11 irrefutable proofs. And reason number one is that Jesus himself said three days and three nights. Uh, in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So my question, even though this is Ask the Preacher, my question to all of you is, how can you fit three days and three nights from, Sunday, uh, from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning? The answer is you can't. So even if you did elementary math, you would, you would only get a day and a half with this traditional view of Christ's resurrection, which, again, was the whole point of, of uh, this comment in passing in this debate I was referring to. You'd have Friday night as one night. You'd have Saturday morning as one day. You would have Saturday evening as another night. And so if you, if you want it to be more lenient, the most you could get is two nights in a day. And Sunday 
it's kind of hard to count that as a day because we know it was still dark uh, when the tomb was discovered empty. So Jesus's resurrection Sunday d- doesn't in any way meet the Savior's requirement for three days and three nights. And what I would contend is that there are 72 hours in three days and three nights. So there's a lot of religious leaders that would try to defend this resurrection on Sunday view by saying that part of the day would constitute one whole day. So in essence, the the belief is that Friday is counted as a day, Saturday is day number two, and then Sunday is day number three. Boom, the problem is solved. But that unfortunately isn't true because when you look at Matthew 12, 38 through 40, he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the, the length of time is, is very specific. Jesus didn't make mistakes. He didn't uh, accidentally mean uh, something else. And in fact, we, we know this because Jesus himself gives a reference for how long a day is. In John 11, verse 9, Jesus answered and said, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Christ himself said there are 12 hours in a day, so there are 12 hours in a night. Therefore, three days and three nights give us 72 hours. So that's the mathematical equation that even an elementary school kid could do. In order for Jesus to fulfill the only sign that he was going to give for his resurrection, three days, 12 literal hours, and three nights, 12 literal hours, hours of nighttime. In in order for that to be fulfilled, it is mathematically impossible for him to have been crucified on a Friday and resurrected on a Sunday. We're going to talk more about this, answer your questions when we come back from this break. Just a reminder, you can call in 863-682-1430. We'll see you in just a few moments. Back to Ask the Preacher as we head into the quarter hour. Brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. In for John Freed, here's George Locke. Welcome back to the program, all you beautiful people out there in Radio Land. Hey, just a reminder, you can join in the conversation, 863-682-1430. You can also go to askthepreacher.com. You can submit questions there. We'll do our best to answer them on follow-up episodes. You can check out previous episodes as well on askthepreacher.com. Call in 863-682-1430. Uh, I'm going to continue to try to offend everybody by giving my points of contention how a Christ uh, timeline of him being crucified on Friday and resurrected on Sunday is is absolutely inaccurate according to Scripture. And so uh, just before the break, we, we talked about how Christ himself gave a definition in John chapter 11 of what a day is. It's 12 hours. Um, and so he said that the only sign he would give for his resurrection is the sign of Jonah, which is three days and three nights. Specifically, he mentioned days and nights being 12-hour periods, which must be at 72 hours total, which is, again, mathematically impossible if he's buried on a Friday afternoon. So where does this idea that a Friday afternoon, the good Friday, uh, and then Sunday resurrection come from? 
And so you might wonder, well, well, didn't the gospel accounts clearly say that Christ was killed on a Friday and on Sunday morning the tomb was already empty? And isn't that proof that that Jesus' resurrection Sunday is correct? And so let's take a look at some of the verses. And so the the people uh, often will will go to, to Luke 23, verse 50, and then 52 through 54, and, and assume that Christ was killed on a Friday. And so let's read those scriptures. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good man and a just man. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock, where no one had ever been laid before. Verse 54, that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. So many Christians understand and would acknowledge that Saturday is, uh, or at least in that time, was the Sabbath day. Uh, It was still Saturday, not a Sunday, as many hold to today. So now let's go to the belief, let's take a look at the belief that Christ was resurrected on Sunday. If we read John 20, verse 1, it says this, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and while it was still dark... Uh, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The first day of the week mentioned in this verse is no doubt Sunday. And we could compare John 20, verse 1, to Matthew 28, 1 through 6, Mark 16, Luke 24, and we can have better context. So with all of those references, many Christians will conclude that Christ was buried on a Friday afternoon and resurrected on Sunday morning. And on the surface, that timeline would seem to be correct. However... As we already discussed, Jesus himself prophesied 72 literal hours. So where does this lead us? To to clear up this confusion, we have to understand the old law, the Old Testament. And I've said this almost every time I've been on Ask the Preacher. Uh, The Bible tells us, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It is extremely near impossible to understand the fullness of the gospel if you do not understand the Old Testament. And we've talked about that before, like, you know, why did Jesus have to be crucified on a cross? Why did everything have to be done exactly the way that it was done? Well, because it was all prophesied and it was fulfilling the law of divorce. And that's another show that we've already done. You can check out on askthepreacher.com, but we're going to stay focused here on understanding Sabbaths. In the Bible, there are days that are referred to as a Sabbath. The most common would be the weekly Sabbath, which happens from Friday at sunset to Saturday at sunset. But there are other Sabbaths that would be annual festivals of Yahweh. They're listed in Leviticus 23. The annual festivals may or may not fall on a Saturday. In fact, most of the time, they don't fall on a Saturday. So, When we read Luke 23, the question has to be asked, which Sabbath was Luke referring to when he wrote this? And if we look at John 19, 31, it gives us the answer. Uh, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high holy day, the Jews asked that Pilate uh, make their legs uh, broken and that they might be taken away. So there were two Sabbaths 
the week that Jesus was crucified. There was the weekly Sabbath on a, on a Saturday, and then there was an annual Sabbath, which was the first day of unleavened bread. That high holy day was was uh, one of God's feasts commanded in, in Leviticus 23. So how do we know? Well, for one, we can recall that Jesus Christ just kept the Sabbath, Matthew 26, 26 through 30, and Passover is kept just before the days of unleavened, un, of unleavened bread. Uh, so again, this is Leviticus 23. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, it is Yahweh's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto Yahweh. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And so we can see here that, that Christ was killed on the day of Passover, which fulfilled his role as the Passover lamb, which is the 14th day of the month. Then before the first day of unleavened bread had come, which is a high holy day, it's considered a Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea needs to bury Christ quickly so that he's not overcome by this annual Sabbath. And then if we look at Matthew 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began at dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. According to some scholars, the word Sabbath here should be translated as Sabbaths in the plural form. So there are some translations that actually do this. Um, Marshall's parallel of the New Testament in Greek and English does it. Uh, Fenton's translation, Green's literal translation, you can see that they actually translate it in the plural form. So we have this possible scenario here where, where Christ wasn't buried on a Friday afternoon. So if he wasn't buried on a Friday, when would he have been buried? And the best way to figure that out is to look at the most likely year for his crucifixion. And here's a, a startling fact, a shocking fact that uh, most Christians don't know, is that Christ was not killed on a Friday, but instead he was killed on a Wednesday, according to how we currently reckon time. And I know the thought is, well, what's the proof of that? And so we can trace the, the day and the time uh, of Jesus being crucified, and we can do that by knowing when the first day of unleavened bread in the year of the crucifixion happened. And so we're going to take a look at the year Christ was most likely uh, crucified, what day Passover would have occurred, and we're going to look at some other prophecies mentioned by Old Testament prophets that I think would probably blow your mind. We're going to talk about that a little bit uh, more in detail when we come back from this break. Just a reminder, you can call in, get your questions answered, join in on the conversation, 863-682-1430. Hang in there. We'll be back in just a few moments. Back to Ask the Preacher as we head into the second half hour. Ask the Preacher brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. Your host is John Free, but John's out today. Sitting in is George Locke. Welcome back to the program. I know everybody's sad that John is not here, but in the meantime, I'm going to do my best to offend everybody as I've been trying to do this whole show. So today we're talking about uh, why I believe it is error to uh, proclaim that Jesus was crucified on a Friday and resurrected on a Sunday. And so far we've given, oh, about six 
different scripture-based reasons for that. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about, well, can we trace the most likely year of Christ's crucifixion? Because if we can figure out the year, then we can know when the Passover was, which that is an undebatable Uh, plainly written that he was in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. So if we know when that occurred, what year it was, it'll give us a better time frame. So uh, we've talked about this on previous episodes. It's been quite some time, but many scholars um, would contend that Jesus was actually born in 3 BC um, and most likely in September, September 11th, 3 BC. Um, And there's a whole reason for that, not only um, just based in scripture, but actually based in the the sun, the moon, and the stars, um, just as Genesis says that the sun and the moon and the stars are for signs and for seasons. And, and so uh, with that understanding, many scholars would make the, procla- uh, the proclamation, would, would make the claim that Jesus would have then been crucified A.D. 31. And so if we trace back the first day of unleavened bread for that year, A.D. 31, it happens to fall on April 25th, which is a Thursday. So since Passover is just a day before that, we can conclude that Christ was killed at around 3 p.m. on Wednesday. And I understand that there are some debates about what year, you know, Christ was killed, but However, generally speaking, most scholars would agree that it was A.D. 31. And if it is, then we have even stronger proof that Yeshua, Jesus, was killed on a Wednesday and not definitively on a Friday. Uh, So that's just one more way that we can track the year. But with that understanding, now I want to be really contentious. And I want to bring up Daniel's prophecy. And before I talk about Daniel's prophecy, I want to uh, let everybody know that Believer's Fellowship is doing a VBS this coming week, Monday through Friday. Uh, We are doing a VBS based off of Daniel and finding strength in Babylon. And man, is that uh, a, a, a very appropriate message for our time. So join us at VBS Monday through Friday at Believers Fellowship. You can find out more by going to believersfellowship.com. <clears throat> but we'll see you out there at VBS. So let's take a look at, at just one proof that Christ was killed on a Wednesday through Daniel's prophecy. Now, the the, the scripture that I'm about to reference is going to ruffle a lot of folks who believe in dispensationalism. The idea that there's a uh, different plan between the ethnic Israelites and who Paul calls Israel, those who uh, who believe in Christ, whether you're ethnically Jewish or not. And, and so if we look at Daniel's prayer from Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 through 27, many people will use this verse and try to claim that it's a reference to a coming Antichrist or that it's a, a reference to a coming third temple that will be built. But I want you to listen very clearly to what's written, and, and we're going to look at it. So this is Daniel 9, 26 and 27. It says, And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, 
and the sanctuary. So it's the people who destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And it's this section that he shall confirm a covenant with many for for one week. People say, oh, that's the Antichrist. And he's going to make a seven-year peace treaty with, uh, you know, Israel. And then he's going to set himself up in the temple. And and then he'll, you know, end the sacrifices and, and all that stuff. But I would contend this is not about an Antichrist because there's nowhere in this verse that mentions any kind of an Antichrist. It talks about the people of the prince who is to come. It's the people who cause the city to be destroyed. It's the people of a prince to come who who cause these bad things. But the whole topic is around the first part. After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. It explains why. And then it goes back to talking about how he, the Messiah, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. This prophecy talks about the Messiah, and it mentions that Jesus, the Messiah, will bring an end to sacrifices and offerings because he is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, just like we read in Hebrews 10.10. By that, uh, we will have been sanctified through the the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That is the ultimate sacrifice. There is no need for any other sacrifice. So according to Daniel's prophecy, he made an end to the sacrifices in the middle of the week. So what's the middle of the week? Well, if the first day is Sunday, the middle of the week would be Wednesday. And we can further see this in Mark Chapter 16, verse 9, one of the verses that that Christians use to prove Jesus' resurrection on Sunday is uh, verse 9, where it says, Mark 16, 9, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And this verse seems to clearly suggest that Yeshua rose early on the first day of the week. But is that really correct? Well, first of all, we've already established that Christ didn't rise from the dead on a Sunday. If this... uh, if this is what the verse is really saying, then, then we would have a problem as Mark 16, 9 would, would contradict the rest of the scriptures. So to harmonize this verse with the other clear scriptures, we got to dig deeper. So what might the problem be? The problem is the placement of the comma in the sentence. Remember that there are no punctuations in the original Greek. So the proper rendering of this verse would be as follows. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared First to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven demons. The verse isn't saying that Christ rose on the first day of the week. Rather, Christ appeared to Mary Magdalene on Sunday morning. So if we look further, Luke 24 and 21, it it doesn't support a resurrection on Sunday. We read in Luke 24, 21, but uh, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So when this conversation happened, it was Sunday. So since the person talking said that on that day, Sunday, is the third day, then it is, it's, it's 
summarized that, that this is true. Jesus rose on Sunday. However, we must understand the verse properly. For one, if this verse supports a, a Sunday resurrection, then we're making Christ a liar because, again, he himself said that he will be in the tomb for three days and three nights, and a Sunday resurrection cannot accommodate that time frame based on Jesus's definition of a 12-hour day. So what might be the explanation? The, the key to understanding the verse is the phrase, sense these things. What might be the speaker pertaining to when he said these things? Notice that after Christ was entombed, there were other things that the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans did. We read in Matthew 27, 62 through 66, that they basically went out uh, and they wanted to secure the tomb and put a seal on it and put a stone and put a guard. So these things happened on a Friday. At this time, Christ was already in the tomb for about two days already, depending on when these things occurred. So Luke 24, 21, the phrase, since these things, refers to what the Romans and the Jews did after Christ was buried. Those things were done on Friday, making Sunday the third day. Uh, another reason is the empty tomb on Sunday does not mean that Christ has just risen. One of the reasons why most Christians believe that Christ was resurrected on Sunday is because it was the day his tomb was found empty. But again, if we look at John 20, verse 1, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Matthew 28 references this. Uh, Luke 24 references it. Mark 16 references it. You can read from the verses that there's no proof that Christ was resurrected on Sunday. What these verses are saying is that they, uh, that they knew the tomb was empty on the first day of the week. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to wrap up all of these conclusions. We're going to give some final thoughts on when Christ really resurrected and why it might be important. Join us after this break. You're listening to Ask the Preacher, 863-682-1430. have just a few more minutes to get your uh, questions answered. We'll see you in just a moment. Fourth and final segments up for Ask the Preacher. Brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church in North Lakeland. Sitting in for John, here's George. Welcome back to the program. I appreciate you guys letting me be here today, listening, joining in on the conversation. Just a reminder, you got a few more minutes to have your questions either on topic, off topic, answered, 863-682-1430. I want to try to wrap up some final thoughts here on my contention as to why it is uh, inaccurate to say that Jesus was crucified, dead, buried on a Friday, and resurrected on a Sunday. He did uh, die for our sins. He was crucified on the cross to fulfill Scripture, just as Scripture demanded he be crucified. And again, we've talked about all those reasons on previous episodes. It is profound how God lays out his, his word. See, he did die uh, to redeem us from the curse of the law, to allow us to have opportunity to rejoin his family, regardless of our uh, ethnic backgrounds, our uh, parents' sins, our generational uh, situations, we can receive his free gift of life by grace through faith in what he did. And he did, in fact, uh, not just die and, and atone for our sins, but he resurrected, giving us new life, uh, allowing us to live 
as he now lives, uh, just as First John tells us, as he is, so are we on this present earth. And we will be like him uh, when we are caught up and, and changed in the twinkling of an eye. But I want to recap on, on the correct chronology, the correct timeline of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So on the night of Tuesday, Jesus Christ ate the Passover meal and instituted the new covenant, a symbol of Passover, Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Later that night, Jesus was betrayed by Judas in the Gethsemane Garden, Matthew 26, 47. And he was then arrested and brought before the high priest for trial in the dead of the night. Wednesday, after being tortured, Jesus was then crucified around 9 a.m. His agony and suffering was prolonged until he took his last breath at 3 p.m., fulfilling the law's demand, Matthew 27. Because the day of unleavened bread is about to start at sunset, a couple hours later, the body of Jesus was placed in a tomb in a hurry. That's Matthew 27, 57 through 60. So we can take note that the biblical reckoning of the day starts at sunset and ends at sunset. Thursday, this is the first day of unleavened bread, which lasts for seven days. The first and seventh day of unleavened bread are high holy Sabbath days, according to Leviticus 23. So Wednesday night is the first night. Thursday daylight is the first day. That's 24 hours. Friday, the first day of unleavened bread has now ended. Thus, the women can now buy and prepare spices for the body of Christ. However, they should also then prepare again for the weekly Sabbath, which will start on Friday at sunset. That's Mark 16 and Luke 23, 56. Thursday night is the second night, and Friday daylight is the second day. That's another 24-hour period, giving us 48 total hours so far. Saturday is the true Sabbath, Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Thus, the followers of Christ rested on this day, Luke 23, 56. Friday night is the third night, and Saturday daylight is the third day, another set of 24 hours. Jesus Christ rose from the dead at the same time he was entombed just before the sunset on Saturday. It's, well, let me put it this way. Isn't it, isn't it a significant thing that Christ didn't simply rise from the dead on any other days, but on the Sabbath day? Sunday, the weekly Sabbath has passed. Early morning, the women brought the spices ready to anoint the body of Christ. They went to the tomb Sunday morning, and when it was still dark, according to John 24 and uh, Luke 24 and John 20, the women discovered that the tomb was empty and Jesus had already risen. So the Bible is pretty clear when we look at it, not through the traditions of men, not through our religious dogmas, but we let the word of God simply be the word of God. It clears up any confusion. Jesus' resurrection on Sunday didn't happen. He, we, we got to stop believing traditions and start believing what the Word of God says plainly. Now, I know that the main motivation why a lot of churches prefer Resurrection Sunday uh, is because it's tradition, and many churches say, you know, we, we, um, we don't need to 
be caught up on the the letter of the law. It's the spirit of law. And, and to an extent, I do agree with that. I mean, Believer's Fellowship, we gather on Sunday. I encourage you to join us either in person or if you can't join us in person, join us online, believersfellowship.com. But this is going to become vitally important that we as people of the book, those of us who proclaim to not just believe it, but follow it, there's coming a time and day where Mystery Babylon will rise It's a one-world government that precedes the beast and the Antichrist. And Mystery Babylon is a wicked, wicked version of Babylon. In fact, it's the only empire in all history that when it falls, heaven itself rejoices. That's how evil Mystery Babylon is, and it's coming if it's not already here. And it's going to be drunk with the blood of the saints. If you proclaim you believe the Bible, I strongly encourage you. I can't emphasize it enough. I can't really find the words to stress the importance. Stop believing the traditions of men. Get into the word of God. It is the only thing that is going to redeem you. It is the guide that is going to keep you. Jesus said, if you worship me, those who worship me must must worship in spirit and truth. Too often we focus on the spirit and we forget the truth. And the Bible answers what truth is. It says, thy word is true, O Lord. So if you proclaim to follow Jesus and follow his word, dig deep into it. Let it be what it is. And just as Jeremiah 33, 3 says, if you want to know me, seek me with your whole heart, unbiasedly, and I will begin to show you things you can't even imagine. Folks, thanks for having me on this episode of Ask the Preacher. We will see you next week. Same time, same channel. Have a good week. Bye-bye.